You're listening to the Loop Page Podcast, episode number 21. Make sure you click subscribe so you can stay up to date. I release a new episode every couple of weeks. And you can also find me on Instagram at Luke underscore page. So in this episode, I catch up with Ryan Magic. Now, be honest, it, um, it sounds weird me saying Ryan Magic simply because I call this guy Magsy. Um, we've known each other for several years. And, um, you know, before I had my own coaching business, I came from somewhere and um, I came from working for Ryan. Ryan ran a, an eight-figure coaching company where uh, we helped coaches build their online business, which is what I'm doing now in my own business. So a lot of the things that I learned has come from Ryan. Um, a lot of the reasons why I, I operate a certain way has come from Ryan. So when we catch up for this episode, I was like, what's the one thing that um, my, not only myself, but also you guys listening to this, what do we want to learn? What do we want to know from someone that has a lot of experience in this area? So I put it to him. The one question that we really want to know is how do we build a $500,000 coaching business? Welcome to the Luke Page Podcast. I am here to inspire people to live a life that they love. It's why I do what I do. Join me on the pursuit of my last vision and my own business success through meeting amazing business owners, entrepreneurs, and forward-thinking people that are here to make impact and change the world. Anyway, man, so when you were saying, when I asked what topic are we going to do, and you're like, well, let's just kind of go with the flow, I was, probably the, the biggest thing we want to know, I was thinking is, how do we build a $500,000 coaching business? So let's just like go through that, everything cool. we need to know, everything we need to do. So where would we start? If you had to give someone your suggestions, your opinions, your advice, someone that wants to build a $500,000 coaching business, where would you start with it? That was one of the smoothest podcasts starts that I've ever experienced in my whole life. So I just want to give you some credit for that. Just slid in, just slid on in there. <laughs> um, first question I'd ask is, is why? Like, why does someone want to build a $500,000 coaching business? And, you know, when I first started my coaching business, I was just so desperate to be a speaker. I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I wanted to be speaking. And I, I really, really just wanted to be coaching. And so the why was pretty vicious for me just to get in there and just like do, and I thought it was going to be really difficult as well. So I launched myself in there with everything because I thought if I don't give every single fucking thing to this, it ain't going to work. And I was so, I so wanted this and I dropped a whole previous business that was doing well to get into it. So I was like, I was risking it. I, I risked everything. And so I was just so desperate to make it work because I wanted to be a coach. I didn't care. I didn't even think like setting a big milestone was kind of like felt like obligatory to make the money because I, I was like, I need some proof that I'm good at business. So, so I'm going to go hard and just do everything I can. Um, but my why was because I actually wanted to do it. If your why is actually the money, then that's like a first pretty big hurdle that you're just going to find yourself yeah, it's, it's that intense, not going to be big enough to, to pull you to do the work necessary. And we're obviously going to go into the action of it all as well as we go through the podcast of how do you market it? How do you sell? How do you package your products? But none of that shit matters if you have a, have a motivation that's substandard. So can you pull that all in, in uh, everything you said there in 45 minutes, mate, not five hours? <laughs> <laughs> 
we can try. <laughs> we can only do. All right. So the why thing, yeah. Um, can you, you know about like, this? Because yeah, when we were I, at winning, we, we spoke about leverage a lot, but yeah. yeah. Can you like give, I mean, I, I know, right? But can you give everyone a background of like a little bit, a bit about yourself? Where you I, of course I know because like I'm the master no. of the coaching space. <laughs> <laughs> so, Obviously, I know. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so like what's a bit of a background with everyone um, to give everyone? <laughs> so how, how can people think about finding their why? Now, a bit of background with yourself, how, like what your why was, how you got in the coaching industry, everything like that. Sure. Well, I mentioned the why just before it was, I really wanted to be doing coaching as a career. And when I, I was doing a previous business that was doing really well financially, and I got into business initially when I was 18 and I just wanted to, I just felt like that was what I was meant to do, be into business, but I didn't have any experience in life because I was 18. So I just was like, what can I do? And I did a website design business and then I just kept and I made that work cold calling, just hitting it really hard. But then it was like, now that I've proved that I can make money, I want to do something that feels really aligned and I want to find a vehicle that I can sink my teeth into and scale. And so I went on this kind of like master search for what's the right vehicle. And in that, on that journey, I chopped and changed and tried a million different things to figure out what it, what was going to be that vehicle. And you know, I went through that process of focusing on too many things at once. I had like a, an app, a SaaS product. I had a dating coaching business. I had all these different businesses going on and um, I didn't really, uh, then I was too kind of scattered. And then I was like, all right, I got to lock something in. So I locked in scaling a digital agency, but I wasn't fully passionate about that. So mm. literally like six months into doing that, I built up a team of eight, in six months and was just getting progress with that and getting really good cash flow. And then I was like, yes, we are making progress. But then I did this activity where I wrote out my own eulogy and I really put posed the question of if I, if I could literally die, like I could die tomorrow, I could die in three months time, six months time. And if I died right now, I knew that I wouldn't have felt like I had the opportunity to do what I was born to do. I, I really would have liked to have been known as someone that was making that impact on others like Tony Robbins made on me when I was younger. And I thought, well, in, in the face of death, it seems less of a big deal to switch businesses. So I was like, far out. I've been switching businesses so much, but I've got to step into what I really want to do. And then when I launched that business, I, I had some like inspirational why, like I want to be a coach, I want to be on stages, all these like nice positive things. Mm. But then I knew that if I didn't have desperation that I'd probably just kind of dither around and, and do the tasks that I found easy that were less important that weren't going to make the business work. So I actually sought out a mentor straight away. It was the first thing I did and I invested into a $50,000 mentor. I didn't have 50 grand at that point because I'd taken all my money and it cost, it cost me a lot of money shutting down that previous business that I instantly shut down. So I had like burned the boats kind of metaphor. So there's no way out. Mm. and then I invest in the 50k mentor 5k deposit thousand dollars a week and you know if you're brand new in business to make those payments I had to borrow money for the 5k and then I had to make these one thousand dollar 
payments every week. So if I didn't make sales, I couldn't have made the payments. And I just assumed that making coaching course payments was mandatory. Uh, I've, I've, I've long, I've since known that a lot of people don't pay their way when they do a course. They're like, oh, mate, co- coaching programs are free, mate. You don't even have to pay. <laughs> yeah. That's what a lot of people think. <laughs> Hopefully we can put this out there as a newsflash that you actually have to pay for a course if it says that it's paid. Um, and then I, yes, yeah, so that was, that was huge. That was motivation. It was away from motivation because then I was like, well, I've got to make it happen. I wanted that pressure, that healthy pressure to, to get me to do the things that my higher self would do. I needed a little bit of a push along, a shove. And so, yeah, I, I ran 12 seminars in 10 weeks right off the bat. First week, if I didn't have that away from motivation, I would have been playing around with this. Why, how do you run a seminar? I've terrified of public speaking so it would have taken me so damn long to do one seminar all those fears of what if people don't show what if people show but then there's not many people and it looks really empty and that's embarrassing or what if i do the seminar and people laugh at me or what if it was a really good seminar but i don't make sales and i can't get cash flow and pay for my course all this sort of crap but it was like in the face of needing to make it happen that stuff just kind of became like less painful than the pain of like the urgency of having to make these course payments. And uh, that willed me to, to run these seminars, which, you know, I'm reflecting back on it, just saying it, ah, it's just something that happened. But at that moment in my life, running those seminars was the equivalent of like the biggest possible fear that I could have ever had in my whole life. It felt like it was 10 steps past where my stage of confidence was at. It was really, really tough to make that call. So, that, so I needed the away from motivation. And that was a motivator. That was, that was a why, I guess, as well, which I'm not saying that everyone should do that because some people won't have the mental fortitude. That's not how their brain is wired. Maybe they, like, they, they thrive more in relaxation. Sometimes people thrive more in having, you know, they've, they've got job and stability and then they work on it the, on the side. That's going to be more productive for them. But for me, I needed that all in kind of mode because I just knew I wasn't going to do the work or it would have taken me so long. It would take me probably two years to get off the ground and, and make the amount of progress that I made in 10 weeks if I didn't make that investment and put pressure on myself. Yeah. You had that, um, you had the away from motivated to make the money, right? Because you had the coaching there, but where did the motivation and the why and the, the leverage to actually, like you just mentioned about facing the fear of doing all those seminars, which was like 10 steps above where you're at. Where yeah. did that come from? Yeah. Like, how did you do that? Where most people, you know, just wouldn't be able to do it regardless of whether they had the money there or not. How did you get past the fear to, you know, to step into a game that felt that was 10 steps above where you were in the, in the, in the stage you were at? Yeah, it's a great question actually. And I was talking to one of my coaches about it like an hour ago when my I was, I had this fear of being judged, this fear of failing, this fear of not doing well, because when I was younger, if I didn't do well, my dad critiqued me really harshly and I found it quite difficult to, um, you know, I had, if I, if I wasn't doing well with something, I felt unworthy of love. So I felt like crap. I felt anxious. So I had to, to get results feel worthy. And with that programming, if I'd launched the business and started doing seminars, I would never have done it because it would have been pretty hard to do something well that was 10 steps beyond where I was at. So I needed to, to, to change my association of what doing well meant for me. And the way that I did that was I made my 
my goalposts action. So doing well instead of being like I do a, in this case, the seminar and I get heaps of people show up and I crush it on stage and I make heaps of sales and the seminar goes really well. That wasn't the goalpost. The goalpost was doing the seminar and it was showing up the next week and doing the seminar and the next week and the next week and the next week. And I had to fully detach away from the pressure of doing well being actually having the action that I took actually work. That was no longer the goalpost. The goalpost was I want to be the biggest action taker in the whole coaching space. And if I do that, then, and that for me is doing well. And that's something I can control because I couldn't control whether the seminar was going to go well. I, and then some seminars didn't, I had like 40 seats lined up for this big <laughs> extravaganza. This is going to be incredible. And then three people rock up in the front row. It's just like, <laughs> Corona. You know, and <laughs> you know, I had times like that. And if I was basing it on the goalposts that I had previously, it would yeah. have just been absolute disaster and my self-worth wouldn't have recovered. But then I was mm. like, cool, this is okay. The goalposts aren't the three people. And I ended up closing all three people. The results are actually really amazing. And that's what made the, the business start to get traction and progress is because even if you do something that's not well and it doesn't go as well as what you want it to, you can still get results with it. You can still make progress with it if you're feeling solid within who you are. But if, if your association to that action is that it has to go really, really well for you to actually feel like you could get success, then there's so much pressure. The bar sets so high that you just sabotage, sabotage, sab sabotage, and you don't end up taking any more action. But for me, mm. changing the goalposts from results being the focus to input being the focus made it really easy to win. And so I was like, I'm winning. I'm winning this week. If I do this, and I was terrified but as long as I just showed up, I'd won. And then the next week, if I showed up again, then I, that's all I can do. That's all I can do. And I win if I do that. So I had to kind of negotiate with myself and understand myself enough to change my kind of mental approach to it. And if I didn't, I just wouldn't have been able to do the seminars. I like that regarding like the attitude around that it's if you're not attached to like say big numbers or anything like that when you're just making progress because it's like say – say like with new coaches starting out and I've had it with starting a Facebook group. I was like, well, I don't have like hundreds and thousands of people that's going to join this thing instantly. And I kind of, it made me hold off for a couple of months, but then I'm mm. like, well, you know, fuck it. If I'm just going to have a couple of people in there, let's just work with that and then build from there. I think it's, a, it's one thing that stops a lot of us taking that first step to starting anything because a lot of the time we don't have the audience there. Yeah. We don't have yeah. 10,000 followers or we don't have um, a million clients or anything like that. But it's just in your, what you did is you just started with it. The three people was a win. Even though you had 40 seats there, the three people, you just saw that yeah. as a win. Mm. Yeah. Well, it wasn't even the three, it was the three people, but it was just mm. actually showing up. Even if there was zero people, it was just right, showing yeah. up, like putting it on Facebook saying it and putting it on meetup. Hey, I'm running an event preaching it out there. Hey world, I'm running an event. That mm -hmm. was the input. And then if there was three people or no people or a hundred people, there was no difference in, well, this is a bigger win because there's more people. Mm -hmm. It was like, I already had one with that input. The funny yep. thing is like, I'm coming around again um, and starting a new coaching business of recently with crowning of the Kings, my program. And that I'm going through the same stuff. And this is why I'm talking about it. It's relevant. I was talking to my coach about it because for me now, when I've got the comparison of how well I did before, and I've still got that innate self-worth tied to me doing well, because it's so ingrained in who I am, that even recently, if, 
for me, doing well is doing better than what I was doing. But what I was doing was yep. massive. It's like yeah. a multi-million dollar coaching business. So starting out now, there's like anything that's not massive for me without changing that association again, feels like I'm not doing well. If I don't feel like I'm doing well, I don't feel worthy of love and it paralyzes me. Mm-hmm. So even recently, I haven't been, I was taking way more action when I first started winning international, that coaching business with the seminars. I was taking way more action then than I am at the moment. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going through the same thing again and it's going to be really cool to witness myself negotiate again with myself and change the association again and then start leaning in where I'm putting the invisible pressure of myself of, well, you should be doing all this, which is just an invisible made up thing. It's an unrealistic expectation. So, so yeah, how are you and really know what it feels like? Yeah. Yeah. Like how, how are you getting through that? Cause if you're like in a way comparing yourself to, the Ryan five years ago, whatever it is, and knowing what you did and the amount of action that you took. And then now that you, you're maybe not taking the same amount of action. Yeah. How are you kind of getting through that? Like what's going through your mind? Yeah, cool. Great question. So I've got a lot of extra resources around self-worth now that I talk about this as a confidence thing. I say like self-worth, confidence, self-love, worth, love, confidence, all the kind of the same thing like synonyms. And most people have their self-worth purely based in what I call material confidence, where if you're doing well, your confidence is up. If you're not doing well, your confidence is down. And it's Mm -hmm. conditional because it changes based on what's happening outside of yourself. But then you have emotional confidence and then you have spiritual confidence, which is unconditional if you can cultivate it. And for me, I've got a solid amount of emotional confidence with my ability to love my inner child, meaning that if we're ever feeling anxious or we're feeling low in self-worth, it's an insecurity that stemmed from childhood. So if I can, let's say, for example, I copped some hate the other day on a post, I felt insecure in that moment because my inner child was triggered. Memories came back of when I got told by, I went to state football and this dude was like, mate, just go home. And for me, I was so sensitive as a kid that really like shattered my confidence. I actually walked off the footy field and started crying to my dad because I just felt so like hurt by that, even though it's child felt really like unsafe. There was like, and then I, I literally had to, cultivate safety and self-love for my inner child in that moment and and make him feel really safe and strong and loved unconditionally and then from that place come back to a feeling of more love as opposed to the anxiety and the and the unsafety because if you, this is the same in life and relationships it's like uh what i've got this quote that's like trust precedes fairy tales like people just want all the love stuff to be amazing but if you don't even have the baseline of trust you're not going to have all that other you know lovey-dovey stuff after it and this amazing dream life it's the same thing with you you're not going to feel like mega jacked about life if you don't even feel safe and this is that's why for some people as well coaching business if you some people need that safety in the job to then make them feel like their foundation is there and, and then they can thrive in their coaching business from that point. But for me, cultivating emotional confidence is actually not putting so much pressure on my inner child. And so even though I still have these kind of like um, comparison things that come up, I still have done a lot to cultivate unconditional love emotionally by doing a lot of inner child work and trauma healing and stuff like that emotionally. And then also having a, 
a greater depth of connection with the universe, God, spirituality, where I legitimately have a frame of reference of the action that I take being a surrendering, like I trust that the universe is guiding me. So if things aren't happening the way that I want, I'm not just like, well, I'm a loser. I'm like, well, obviously there's something to learn here because I trust that the universe has got my back. And having that spiritual confidence and love as well really helps through material, uh, when materially things are on more of a down. And those two like emotional and spiritual levels of confidence and self-worth are really important and, and they help a lot. So what do you do to actually build the, if you say the spiritual and emotional confidence, what exactly do you do to actually build that? I would say meditation would 100% be the foundation. And the reason why is because from a spiritual lens, when you meditate, you access a state of being, which is just a, a natural open-hearted space where from that state you prioritize, you feel a sense of belonging and connectedness to other people. You feel a sense of like your intuition becomes stronger. So you seek out growth initiatives and you also prioritize service more naturally. And this is something that is just, if you say it, it just kind of means nothing to someone that hasn't experienced it, but it's something you have to kind of try before you deny and experience physically. Because to me, I was so transactional in business before I was connected to meditation. Everything was a transaction. You were a transaction when you first came in the business to me, mm-hmm. when you worked in winning as a salesperson everyone was and everything was it was just i need achievement to feel good and if i don't get it then i'm i'm just not going to accept that and so i looked at all things as transactions when i started meditating i actually started and accessing that state of being in my meditation and then it kind of seeping out into my reality outside of meditation i genuinely wanted to connect more i genuinely wanted to serve more i genuinely wanted to prioritize fulfillment more and that's why that spiritual connect, connection can be forged really powerfully. And, and it doesn't take too long either after you practice what I call a being technique, which is either Vedic meditation or transcendental meditation or the one giant mind being technique. It's a really powerful foundation. I don't, I don't coach. I coach men who are successful in business to scale their business. Like some of them already do multi-mill mills and I help them scale it even more. And I don't work with any of these guys unless they meditate. So I teach them to meditate and it's mandatory twice a day for this reason. So that's the first way it helps with like that helps with the foundation of the spiritual side. But then it's also like the conscious stuff around that where you actually choose to see in the moments of doubt that you're being guided. What are the gifts in the moment, gratitude and stuff like that. Emotionally, when you're really, really busy, you miss things. Meaning that like, stereotypical dad from a movie so busy with his work and he misses his daughter's like drama play and then it's like what are you doing and he's just like gets crucified for it because he's so busy he just forgot and you miss things when you're really busy but when you create space and you and you actually have time you start to see things so when you're busy you miss things when you create space you see things and it's really basic metaphor for what happens when you have really potent space during meditation the more that you meditate when you create that space it creates the opportunity for things to come to the surface that you may have not worked through before and so it's like a opportunity to see your stretch points to witness yourself like you actually build your perceptive awareness your ability to witness your own behavior and your own patterns and your own sticking points which makes you more compassionate understanding it allows you to understand 
where your stretch points are from a personal development perspective and from a confidence perspective. And then that gives you specific opportunities to work through things. You might be, cause you're so busy, you might just react to a family member and just be like, well, it's their fault. But then if you meditate and you've got more space, it gives you the opportunity to actually witness and go, hang on a second. Maybe there was something more to that. Maybe I was just responded in a certain way because I felt threatened. I'm actually sorry there. I'm going to then journal that night on me feeling threatened for my family member. Where does that come from? And then work through it. So just over time, you're building more mental fortitude. And that comes from that increasing of the capacity. It's, it's a capability of the mind known as the witness, your ability to perceive and have awareness. And that, that's built really strong from meditation. So meditation is a great foundation. There's lots of other things that you could do, but yeah. there'd be no point if you didn't have that foundation, in my opinion. And then, so regarding the meditation, like what's the difference between, say, you know, sitting there and doing Vedic meditation compared to, say, me sitting out in the ocean and just chilling out in the ocean, yeah? Some people would say yeah. that's meditative. So, like, why would you recommend that? Or can you do either or? But why would you recommend Vedic over, say, just sitting in the ocean or just sitting in the gardens doing nothing type thing and actually visually looking yeah. around, everything like that? Yeah, well, I wouldn't say that they're... I could, I'd recommend one more than the other in terms of like meditations better than sitting in the ocean, but I'd say they've got different effects. Um, they both help with presence, but when you do a, a being technique, you're, it's essentially the, the technique that the way that you practice a being technique is with a mantra that is a transcendence mantra. And the word mantra means in Sanskrit, it's a, it's a Sanskrit word in English. It means mind vehicle, mantra. which means it, mantra <laughs> remember the old mantra days mantra mantra yeah, ma mantra yeah um there's a guy at our old our workplace whose name was mantra he changed it to that good guy so mantra means mind vehicle and a transcendence mantra is a vehicle for your mind to actually transcend your thoughts and end up in a state called being you actually transcend your thoughts so when you usually do meditation you're in your conscious mind when you transcend, you, you're not awake and you're not asleep. You're in this state called being. And it's a state that allows your mind to settle down and your body to fall into a more restful state. It's like really rejuvenating, but it's, you're accessing being. And the way that you can kind of recognize or become aware of what... So that's the, that's, that is the truth of who we are, that awareness, that pure state of awareness. But it's, it's a... This is, and there's a lot of ways that you can kind of like, this could be taught and it usually gets taught at like a workshop or by going to like a ashram in India for like two weeks straight, learning about this sort of thing. But I can summarize it by saying like, when you're thinking, you've got a, your speaking voice in your, in your head that has a running commentary on your day. So right now you're thinking, oh, Ryan's talking about meditation. How's it actually work? What's the difference? You know, what other question can I ask him? How long is this going for? Man, this guy talks, blah, 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 blah. I'm thinking similar things like, oh, look, what's in the background? What am I going to say next? But I'm pretty present, but I've still got a running commentary that's in my speaking voice in my head. But the thing is, you can become aware of that. So a lot of us think that we are our thoughts and that our conscious mind is us, but it's, it is part of us, but it's not the whole truth of who we are because we can actually witness those thoughts and they happen automatically without, without us even doing saying anything they're just kind of going and we can witness them so if we can witness our thoughts then who the fuck what what part of us is the one that's witnessing 
well that is what's known in in like spirituality and stuff as like your higher self or isness or the cosmos or oneness or awareness you know there's all these different words or the gyankan all these different ways to talk about it but essentially it it's like a it's like when um, Joe Dispenza talks about being in a super conscious state where you go into the, what does he call that state? The sub subatomic world where you manifest. Oh, from that whatnot. one. Yeah, yeah. That one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go man. You know, there's heaps of names for it. The re- mm. the reality is it's bigger than our conscious mind. Yeah. And if you if we were to kind of feel like we've got all this shit in the world under control and we know what's going on here, no one actually knows what's going on. Mm. And this is like the idea that there's a field of pure awareness, which is infinitely intelligent, that's beyond the scope of our conscious mind. So when mm. you do a being technique and you meditate, you slip through the cracks in your conscious mind, kind of how we said we got the running commentary, you actually transcend that and you're in this state called being, but you're not asleep, but you're not actually consciously awake or aware. So what the hell, where are you? You're in a state of being. And that state is what, what natu- where the witness naturally comes from, that part of us that has more awareness, which is like the part beyond our thoughts, the witness strengthens and from that intuition comes. But when we're doing, like we're just out there in nature and stuff, we're just connecting with the environment and we're just becoming present by us as humans connecting with our natural place. Like we're meant to be in the wild. We're meant to be in the ocean. We're meant to be in the forest. Like that's our natural habitat. And it feels really nice to be in there. If we're eating healthy food, we feel present. If we go for a walk and move, we're meant to be moving our bodies. You know, the reason it feels so nice to be mindful and do all these mindfulness practices, just like going for a surf is because it's us doing what we're meant to do. You know, we, we weren't born and into a tribe to be on computers in buildings it's just kind of like our nervous system hasn't evolved to be you know in that state so it feels really nice and it it evokes the state of extreme presence when we do what in in spirituality is known as like a connecting technique which is like the outermost so the functions of the mind are the witness intuitive perception your ability to perceive intuition then like it's like intelligence comes from a state of being down here resonant in the heart then your witness is able to give rise to intuitive perception then you can think focus and connect and connect is like the final thing the symptom or the outermost action and that's what you do when you go and go for a surf you're connecting with your environment and it feels really good but the absolute core of what allows that to happen naturally is a state of being and when you do a transcendence technique or a being technique that's what you're actually doing. You're tapping into that super conscious state or a state of being or isness or pure awareness. Mm. And it's, again, it's something you got to experience and practice or experiment with to actually notice how you naturally prioritize connection. You naturally feel more relaxed, more connected, prioritize growth, feel more intuitively guided, etc. It's not something you can just like rationalize in your mind because it's actually the opposite of your thoughts. So <laughs> in your view and you're thinking, trying to go, but how does that make, sense well that part is the opposite so it's never going to actually rationalize something that's irrational and emotional you know what i mean yeah yeah mate i know what you mean i'm just trying to think now like like how you know you just the spider web gets released and you just go deeper and then you go to another yeah well the, was, to simplify it just yeah. if you're interested just practice it and see if it makes a difference for you and if it does mm. keep doing it if it doesn't stop doing it 
but I mean, trying to figure it out and understand it all off the bat is pretty, it's a pretty crazy endeavor because after studying mm. like hardcore spiritual practices and wisdom, like Vedic wisdom and all these other spiritual practices and Joe Dispenser and blah, blah, blah. I've spent thousands of hours meditating and hundreds of hours learning about this stuff. And it took me like still 18 months to even kind of start to understand what was going on because it's something that needs to be experienced versus like, it's only the intellect that needs to control and understand everything that's going on. Mm. Like when you actually experience a state of being, you don't even care about understanding it. You just want to experience a nice reality. So you don't mm. like, why do I have to understand it to do it? If it makes me feel good, I'll keep doing it. If it doesn't, then I'll stop doing it. Yeah. And that's as far as you need to go. Well, it is like, cause you obviously, you know, you know a lot about this stuff compared to the everyday average person. I mean, I, I know next to nothing compared to what you're talking about here. Where does like your drive come from, from just like going deeper and deeper and deeper with this stuff? Cause whenever I get into it, I'm kind of like, gets to a point where you just like it's so deep and then you get to a level where you're like oh i think i know a lot but then you're like i know nothing and it gets deeper and deeper and like understanding the meaning of life like we don't know what life is like we will never understand ultimately it's it's kind of like this bottomless pit yeah at what point do you go enough's enough like what is the drive for you to go are you like i just want to go as deep as possible with this it's never gonna end is there a point that you're looking for well, at the start, it was from necessity. It was like a reaction to feeling unfulfilled and feeling like I should feel fulfilled because I had everything I ever wanted. Therefore, I just happened to you know, come across meditation from Danny recommending that I did Laura Poole's Vedic meditation course. And then after I experienced it and I saw the embodiment of the teacher, Laura, I was just like, she's definitely got something I don't have. <laughs> like I can yeah. just feel it. I can see it. Mm-hmm. I'm like some anxious like overthinking insecure success crazed dude this chick's just fucking like feel i can feel that she's whole i can Mm. feel that she feels so grounded in who she is and i could feel it and i was just like i don't know anything about this but i definitely want some of that yeah and at that point it was like i want some of that so that i'm more recharged so that i can crush success more (laughs) and then the more that i started practicing it because what you're talking about, the bottomless pit, is intellectually it's a bottomless pit because it's not something, it's an experience that you feel and in way to try to quantify and put a code to it. It'd be like trying to code the way that a tree is built. It's like you could try to code the way that a tree is built, but I mean, what's the point of trying to code a way that the tree is built? It's just stupid. Mm. Like it's in, the tree is just built that way. And so when you experience it, it's only like the skeptic kind of fear control mind that really feels the need to figure it all out because they're threatened by what they don't understand because the ego and the intellect needs like feel safe within control. And the whole purpose of meditation is to surrender. So it's like so difficult for an entrepreneur to to get it because they're trying to control something Mm. where the intention is not to control it. The only way you thrive with it, it's kind of like sinking sand. Like the more that you wrestle, you're like Mm. the more that you actually fail. And the same thing with, and that's why transcendence technique is good because it gives you a central point of focus. So if we just try to like think in our mind as a achiever, who's always got thoughts, we're just like going crazy all the time. And we're trying to just do nothing. Our mind just runs ragged in a meditation. It's just incredibly frustrating. But if you can come back to like a mantra that you repeat in your mind over and over again, just like a sound, it just, at least you got something to come back to. 
but it's the, the main thing there is it's like for me i like learning just in general i find it really awesome i i just yesterday i rolled enrolled in william white cloud's course who's just some dude i signed up with a new coach today i did a coaching session i mean that's just my fun for me someone else might be like going to the footy or whatever so i like learning more and i like experiencing more from a personal development perspective it's just what i've familiarized that's how i get my needs met personally but i'm just curious to experiment with new things i find it fun so for me like the practice like why do i keep going deeper well when i meditate it's just a non-negotiable kind of like now i go for a run or do some form of exercise every day and i just feel good when i do it so i just keep doing it meditation i just feel better when i'm doing it and i do a lot of like I've done research where I won't meditate and then I'm like, Oh, I felt worse. I'm just going to keep meditating. And so it's like, that's the experience, but I've just got curiosity for the wisdom. Mm. That makes so sense. It's basically whatever's feeling good. Sometimes you'll do things where it doesn't necessarily feel good. You just work it out yourself. And by you going deeper with this stuff is ultimately make you feel good. So that's why you do it. Yeah. I'm curious. I'm, I'm curious to mm. understand like why it feels good. And, and I, wa- I like to teach it as well. And like, you could tell by the way I was explaining it before most of the people listening wouldn't have any fucking idea what I said because mm. I explained it pretty, like, I don't feel like I explained it very well. I'm sure I explained it better than some people would, but the way yeah. I just happened to explain it was pretty confusing. Mm. And that's because it's a, it's like a, it's a difficult thing to explain. So I like learning more about it so I can explain things simpler. Yep. I like it. I like connecting the dots with different personal development modalities and theories. And I find that interesting and fun. Mm. Um, but from an experiential level, like before I felt like if I didn't figure it out, how can I coach this? I'm not a, no one, I don't know what I'm doing. It was like so much control. Whereas now it's more, I feel like I've got a base, a solid base of fulfillment and it's, so, and then it's like fun to try to figure extra things out. So the yeah. control has surrendered a fair bit since meditating, but it still comes up if I'm having like a particularly stressful day, but I do it for fun is mm. the answer. All right. Well, we can summarize that, um, that whole point as, cause the first thing we're talking about, if we're going to build a half a million dollar coaching business is we need to have a strong why can't be just yeah. for the money. Right. The second yeah. thing would be that, um, how will we summarize that? Like you've just, you've got to oh, work well, we on said, your, yeah, your, well, like we your said, emotional well, spiritual self ultimately yeah exactly we said well your why needs to be strong and then we spoke about the fact that i had an away from motivator and then which was i need to make it work and then you said well how the hell did you still do all these seminars and i said well i did it because i changed my association to failure being it doesn't matter if i fail the action is the way that i succeed and i give myself credit for that and you said and then i said well i struggle with that I'm struggling with it again now and I'm, I'm going through it again with a new business. And you said, well, how do you do okay with that? And I said, well, I've built up some emotional and spiritual confidence, not just the material. And that mm. really helps to support it. And then we go in and well, how the hell do we do we do that? And the, the summary is meditation. And meditation. then <laughs> if you feel called to do it, then just try it with some kind of like TM meditation, meditation teacher, transcendental meditation or Vedic meditation or a one giant mind being technique teacher just do it, try it. If it makes a difference, it's not expensive. The most it'll cost you is a grand, which is pretty crazy because it's probably been the most powerful thing I've ever done. I've spent over 500K on PD. So, I mean, just invest in a meditation teacher. See if you like to try it for at least a couple of months and if it makes a big difference, which you'll notice straight away the difference it makes. Then keep doing it. If not, just ditch it. Sweet, man. So, what's next? 
Um, what do you feel like your audience base? Cause you've spoken to a fair few coaches recently. What do you think based on kind of my experience and these, these guys that listen, what do you th- think is most important? Where do you feel like they get most stuck? Uh, well, I mean, ultimately it's, it's a mindset thing. Yeah. Like there's, um, we can talk about yeah. specific strategies, but yeah. ultimately everything comes down to a mindset and belief thing. Yeah. So, yeah. um, can we explore that a little bit more? Like we've, we've spoken yeah. about why, which is, which is massively important. And I, th- and I think with, especially new, and I've had this myself, I've just like, is it when you're kind of starting out, you sometimes you, you do get caught up. And I noticed I've done this in probably the last, probably maybe the start of the year, getting too caught up in the mechanics and the strategy of everything. Right. And forgetting why yeah. I'm doing all this. So yeah. it's funny, it's funny that, you know, like the first yeah. thing, you started with was your why. Um, yeah. Well, I, I've got, I've got somewhere I feel like I can go from what you said there. Um, and that is, there's, a, there's an innate problem that happens at the start of everyone that's doing a coaching business. And that is that most coaches, uh, what I call or what are called in a business context, visionaries versus integrators. Like, integrators are more detailed focused mechanics like doing the the kind of like setting up the the technology and like doing all those kind of detailed focused things and they don't like being in the spotlight and then visionaries and most coaches are visionaries they like being in the spotlight they like talking to people in enjoying that um and the problem that most people most coaches have is that they don't want to do the detailed focused stuff but and because they're the visionaries but i mean every they have to do when starting out as a coach to get action initially off the ground is usually things that take more legwork and so they kind of have to balance the fact that they're playing as a sole trader who needs to take care of everything um to get some cash flow up and then from that point they can actually when they've when they've kind of like had enough cash flow and success coming then they can afford to get integrators as employees in the, into the business to help support them being the visionary up the top. But coaches come in wanting to be the visionary and they haven't built the infrastructure, any foundation of momentum and success and finances to be able to hire a team to support their visionary. And therefore they're just like kind of stuck and they're like, I don't want to do this stuff, but it's like, well, you got to get clients or actually don't have money in there. And you need money to not have to do that stuff. So a lot of people get stuck. And this is where a lot of coaches, why they struggle to pay for coaching programs or like, if you want to get a good ads person to get you leads and clients as a coach, it probably costs you three to five K a month. But if you don't even have any clients, three to five K a month is a lot to spend. So you, that's, that's the kind of like sticking point that a lot of entrepreneur uh, coaches have to begin with. And for me, like coming at it again, because I've got the experience and I've got the, I still do innately have a high self-worth of my ability to produce results. So I've hired like a personal assistant. I've hired a full-time marketer. I'm hiring this week, putting up a job ad for a full-time videographer. I've got a full-time video editor in another country. I've got a full-time virtual assistant from Canada that works full-time in the business, helping with all the detailed focused stuff. And I don't even have the business thriving yet. So that's like, I know I haven't necessarily earned the right, but I'm willing to take the risk financially for whatever that is, 15K a month worth of expenses. I'm willing to take that risk of having that, the, that cost base up because I back myself to make at least 15K a month coaching. 
Whereas most people would need the, let's call it 10K a month worth of support from an integration perspective to not have to do the stuff that they don't want to do, but they don't have any money coming in and they don't want to risk any money. So there's this weird pull. And I know a lot of marketers who want to work with, like who have really struggled helping coaches because they all want done for you marketing, but they can't afford done for you marketing. So these mm-hmm. marketers will often create a package. that's quite cheap for coaches because that's what they can afford, but it's not enough money to give the marketer for him to actually get them results. Mm-hmm. And therefore he's kind of like charging less than he's worth. They're actually wanting more than they're paying. Yeah. And it just never works out because they need to get more runs on the board first. And that's why for a lot of coaches, it takes the, the big action and it takes putting themselves out there. And that's where that mindset comes in to be like, and this is what I like about what had the way you're playing the business at the moment. You're like, well, this is what I'm doing and I'm doing it and I'm going to keep doing it. So I'm going to take the pressure off me having to get it right straight away, which is probably your stretch at the same time. But most people don't have that because they want instant gratification. And then they kind of like, if things don't go exactly how they want when they start their coaching business and their ads aren't working because they're doing stuff that go against their natural grain with all the detail stuff, they just have an emotional breakdown and then they quit. And then they'll like go back in with this hope, like it has to work, it has to work. And it's like, Mm. it's not going to work straight away. You'll get some little runs on the board, but you need to be willing to probably do some coaching for free. You need to be willing to bring anyone and everyone on and just get them really good results. You need to be willing to do stuff outside your comfort zone. You have to be giving value consistently online and knowing that it's going to take some time to build your brand. You have to be doing stuff that like feels like is beyond where you're at to initially get that traction. And it's, that's the gap that I would say. Uh, we called it the hustle season at winning. If you remember in like, and it was, it was just talking about that initial stage where you just got to kind of like machine gun it out there mm. because you're not, you're not a, you're not a samurai that can just place the sword perfectly and get a campaign yeah. just firing off the bat. You got to learn and, get, and put yourself out there and you got to do it yourself, even though you suck at it, even though you hate it mm. or else you like, where else are you going to get money from? And so, Hmm. yeah that's that's important to have that long-term focus one thing that like i remember we used to always talk about is like you got to play your business as a business owner not as an employee and for the majority of coaches that start a coaching business they come from working for someone yeah it's yeah. usually people that have worked for someone they they want more they don't want to live the average life you know the nine to five that type of thing yeah but previously they've been an employee and that's all they've done. But then they bring that into this online space where, you know, there's zero startup. Um, there's zero running fees at the start. So it's kind of like you just sit there. You haven't really got a lot of, um, you know, you don't have to make things work ultimately a lot of the people. So how do you, how do you basically, what would be your advice around playing your business like a business owner when you don't have all the capital behind you? Um, you know, do you like, do you like, do you go out and get money somewhere and hire people, for example, just for the sake of going, well, I'm going to be a business owner. Like, what do you, what's your advice around that? Uh, I I feel like if you come from an employee background, you need to defatuate with the idea of what a coaching business is going to look like. Cause most people are infatuated. They're like, my job sucks. I hate it. Becoming a coach is going to be amazing and I'm going to love it. 
And so they're looking, they're missing the gratitude of the things they actually like from their job. Like the fact they get to show up at a place where they connect with people. There's, there's a team there. That's fun. It's nice to be around people. It's nice to have that team. They've got a salary. They get paid off sick days on sick days that, you know, they're supported and nurtured and they feel safe and they can clock on and off and have that. So there's lots of benefits to having a job. And most people don't, they disregard all of those benefits from having a job and they're defatuated with it. And then they're infatuated with the coaching business and they only focus on all the things they want, which means they're entitled. Like I'm going to jump into this and I'm going to have freedom lifestyle and make heaps more money. I'm only going to do stuff that I like to do. And it's just going to be great. And that can be achieved longer term, but there's, there's benefits and drawbacks to both. And when you can kind of neutralize your view a little bit and become a little bit more grounded in your view, then you've got a little bit more of a realistic, you're actually seeing what the field looks like. You're going to, you like, let's say you're in a war. You're not just like wearing these glasses that show that there's no, it just like box out any enemies. It's like, you got to take these imaginary glasses off and see all the obstacles. So then when you actually start going, you're not going to get shot. And that's what defatuating the infatuation of what a coaching business is going to look like is really important. It's hard because the whole landscape online is just riddled with people selling what people want and they're doing good marketing. They're helping. They're saying, you're going to get this and you're going to get this and I'll help you get this because they're marketing and marketing helps people move away from pain and to pleasure. So it's designed to like magnify that infatuation so that people then want to jump on board. But then it's, it's ultimately not good for that coach's success. Um, so what I would say is, do you have a question? I was just going to say, well, it's just because they have the wrong expectation. Simple as that. Like yeah. they think that going in, well, you know, well, I've joined this course and it says that Willie made uh, $300,000 in three months. Willie. Willie. Good old Willie. So I'm going to be like Willie. Um, yeah, man. It's the expectations. Yeah. I had a friend called Willie back in the day. Willie Moore. Willie Moore. You don't, you don't come across many Willies these days. <laughs> this is like, I was talking to someone um, maybe a couple of weeks ago. I was saying that, imagine that, Imagine that, like, say, say you do a, you're studying to be a doctor, and I don't know the specifics of it, but you have to study for like ten years or so, right? So yeah. bef- you got to study for ten years before you ever start getting paid properly. Imagine you had the same expectations with starting your business, and it's like, <laughs> it's not in three months that I'm going to be earning as much as I was for my, you know, when I was employed. Um, yeah. But you know, you you did that's, say before one of my that's biggest- a great analogy, by the way. Yeah, it's um, it makes sense. I mean, but like my biggest stretch, like you said, there is that I um, I kind of have got myself into a position where because this is basically what I've seen in the coaching industry is that exact thing what we've been talking about. People yeah. get in, they've basically got two three months to make it work. Yeah, because they're, they're and then they end up going into it so overwhelmed, so anxious, and they they because they're freaking out. Yeah. Most people, most and there's that one percent that can thrive under those conditions, and maybe that was you, right? But for most of us, yeah. that's definitely not me. For most of us, we won't be able to handle it, right? So I've gone in and gone, well, what works for me? And I'm like, well, I'm going to play a long-term game. I'm going to be set up mentally, financially, to go the distance, so I make it like regardless. Like, there's, yeah. I've been. I've been doing my business for, I mean, not long and about a year and a half or so now, a year and three months. Fuck. 
Time goes fast. I didn't. It does. Yeah. Like, but like I've never had any moment where I'm like, I'm going to give up. But the thing is, is this isn't my first business. I've made, I've had over the years, I've had five, six. And, um, at the first sign of challenge in my previous business, guess what? Start getting that, that thought, maybe this is not right. Or there's that idea over there that I've got. Yeah. I'm going to start exploring the options around that. And before you know it, I move over to the next idea. So I think expectations is a big thing going in with not just, not just thinking, well, you know, look, this is going to work just like we fear an employer, you get a job straight away, you get paid within a week. Um, everything gets yeah. given to you, trained up within a month, you know, work straight away. But saying that with me personally, um, one the opposite thing, stretch. Yeah, yeah, I've got the opposite where like, it's almost like I need to be, I need a, a little bit of that other side that's going to help me mm. as well. Yeah. So I've got I've, the, the answer for this in the second part of my response from saying that like, this is the problem with everyone's mindset going into it as an employee. The, the way to, to get past it, a big part of it is intuition. And intuition means that it means aligned discomfort. That's what intuition is. It's the first time I've described it this way, but that's what it is. It's aligned discomfort because a lot of people do things that they don't like to do and they're uncomfortable. Like if you were to go into a coaching business and someone's like, cold call, just cold call all day. You're like, I hate cold calling. Like it's the, it's not me. I would never do that. I hate it. It just makes me cringe the thought of doing it. Then it's discomfort and it's not aligned, but there's things that you want to do as a coach that are aligned. Like, for example, you might really see yourself stepping on stages and doing seminars and that is aligned and it's uncomfortable. And so what intuition does when you tap into it, and this is, again, core meditation helps you bring it up, but you can, it's that thing that you know that you need to do that feels uncomfortable, but you know it's something you want to do as well. It's kind of like the apex point between what's exciting and scary at the same time. And I personally, I do one uncomfortable action every week something that feels scary and exciting for me so this week i've got two this week i've got hiring a videographer which is scary and exciting and i've got booking in locking in dates to run like a men's retreat so they're like two pretty big actions and they're usually big because they they have to be scary or else it doesn't count as my weekly i call it my pledge for the week it's a lot they have to feel aligned and expansive but then simultaneously scary because what intuition is designed to do is create evolution, create growth. Like I see the purpose of what of the universe to be and as a human fulfillment, which is a mix between love and enjoying life and growth and, and evolving. So, so you're going into the unknown and you're always evolving, but most people suppress what they know they need to do. And it always like, they're never going to move progress until they address that thing that they know they want to do. And they know that they need to do. In the past, it was for me, I had like a bit of a warped perspective, more of a masochistic perspective, which means like self-harming, kind of like self-sabotage, always has to be hard, do the thing you're afraid to do, work on your weaknesses. Now I'm like, I, I mix the courage there and I mix the, you know, take that leap, but in a way that's really aligned. So for me at the moment, I mentioned those two for my week this week, but also for me, it's reaching out to big podcast guests. Like I reached out to, have you ever seen the show Entourage? Yeah. TV yeah. show. Yeah. Yeah. So the main character of that, I reached out to him this morning to try to oh. get him on the podcast. Mm. I reached out to, um, 
there are all these people i'm just looking at my messages uh you know tony robbins at upw joseph McC- uh mcclendon oh, yeah, yeah. The, the other the guy that talks and the other i reached out to him this morning the, the third you know, i'm reaching out to the third exactly i was gonna say that. um and i reach out and and i secured this guy called master shri akashana he's got eighty thousand followers eq minds chelsea pottinger a hundred thousand followers i got both of them on the podcast this morning that's scary for me because they're big players they've got much bigger followings than i do on instagram and they're people yep. that i really admire and want to do interviews with and so that for me is uncomfortable mm. but it's also aligned and so i yep. think if you don't have like how do you stretch yourself and also uh, stay like you keep you're in for the long run well you've got like a genius and you've got things that you love to do that you're good at doing that you really that feels exciting to do and if you can do them consistently and formulate and this is where i've kind of changed over the last year and a bit it's like i want to formulate my whole life to be as aligned to me as possible mm-hmm. because why the hell wouldn't i do why would i make it harder for myself and and make it uncomfortable like uncomfortable in a way that i don't even like gary v is a great example of this because he just does he's terrible at operations and finance and business he's great at sales he's great at speaking he's great at strategy he's great at like ideas and so for him what does he do all day he just does like quick check-ins with the team never would do any managerial stuff he does like quick q and if he does a keynote he does 50 percent keynote 50 percent q a because he knows that he works better responding to questions like similar to me as well i don't like proactively just i'm going to deliver a presentation i like you hitting me with what i don't know i'm going to be hit with so i can respond in the present moment i don't have to think about it i really like that i hate the opposite of that so it's just like knowing how you work and then making sure that you're taking an intuitive steps that is aligned discomfort and if you're always push, pulling that forward, you're growing every single week and you're actually making headway. And it's not about what's uncomfortable for me because it's this intuition such a personal thing. For me, like what's, I'm going to think of an uh, uncomfortable step for me that I did that other people might not think is a big deal. Oh, there was one, oh, I can't remember. They're all pretty solid actions, but you know, you might have an action step. It's like, I'd just be scared to do a Facebook live, you know, or someone else might have that. And for me, doing a Facebook live is not a massive deal, but it's not about what's a big deal for me because you grow, you expand. If you keep leaning into that aligned discomfort, the, 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 the tasks get more difficult and, and, and become bigger and more value-based and more impactful to the world. And that creates progress. That gets results. That moves things along. And so I feel like that's a really great philosophy to have it as aligned and uncomfortable. And, and I call it an ABCD pledge or an ABC's pledge. Aligned business focus, so it has to be revenue generating or pulling the business forward. Courage based, so it has to be uncomfortable and uh, specific. So you have to be able to measure it. And I do an ABC's pledge every week, um, at least one. And every week, it's mandatory for me. And that mm. stops you coasting in the indie. Yeah, it stops you coasting, just being like, well, I could do this forever. But it's like you're stretching yourself and you're making sure you're honoring like yourself and your own alignment and your own personality. Awesome, man. Well, before we wrap this up, is there anything that you haven't put in this? Because, mate, we could speak for hours, right? But is yeah. there anything that you haven't talk, spoken about where you're like, this has to go in here? Um, it's a great question. I'm going to say like... I'm going to feel into this. Feel. 
legit this is my jam i just really want the people that are listening to this to know that you know what i'm going to refer to a maharishi quote that says you deserve the best this maharishi is the dude that brought transcendental meditation to the west this indian guru dude that taught the beatles to meditate and he taught six million people to meditate he's just the og gangster of meditation like what a feat six million people like this guy was insane and he had this quote that says you deserve the best which i think a lot of people don't see that in themselves they don't feel like worthy of having an amazing life and he says you deserve the best the universe wants you to have an amazing life but you have to accept it you got to accept that fact that you deserve the best you got to ask yourself right now if you're listening like do you actually think that you deserve to live an amazing life or do you kind of feel like oh it's for other people or luke's pursuing his coaching business but you know he's extra special and just more courageous than me or whatever and so you got to accept the fact that you deserve the best. So the quote is, you deserve the best, accept it. The second part is expect it. And that means, and this is what Joe Dispenza is all about. If you have a desire for something, usually there's this really cool quote that's like, whatever you really, really want and are attached to, you're not ready for. So if you like look at this girl or this dude and you're like, I really want to be with this person, it'd be amazing to be with them you couldn't be with them because you can't even hold space for it. I want to have a million dollar business. It's like, you know, you're not ready for it because you're so infatuated with it and you're not grounded with it. You're not even ready for it. But if you expect it, it's like this knowing that it's going to happen and you're ready for it. And that's what Joe Dispenza is all about. He talks about being grateful for the future that you're conjuring because in gratitude, you can only be grateful for things usually that have already happened. So if you bring gratitude to your vision and your future, you're kind of the energy is insinuating that you know it's going to happen and you feel that you're expecting it. it's that expectation energy and then the last part of the quote is claim it so it's you deserve the best accept it like just know you deserve it expect mm. it actually feel resonant grounded with it and grateful for it even though it hasn't happened yet and then claim it and the claim it part is like go out and fucking make it happen and if you don't even if the universe verse is giving you all these signs or you're not going to make it happen because you're not doing the damn work and it is it is hard you know it's hard like every step you've taken in, in this business it does kind of like it's like a little pinch it hurts it's scary same thing for me when i'm doing my abc's pledge every week it's scary like when i was reaching out to these people this morning i'm like reaching out to the entourage dude i've sent him two messages now and he's played them both but he hasn't responded so i'm going to keep pestering him it's nerve-wracking this guy's a movie star right so mm -hmm. that scares me but it's exciting if i don't do that then i can't expect to have the business and it's just not going to happen like i've got to claim it i've got to take the opportunity i had the idea pop up in my mind that's the universe saying this is what you got to do man it's like God, if he was a character and we want to personify the idea of God and he's like this dude in the clouds, he's like nudging me and he's like, man, you want this business, you want to be this like thought leader and do interviews with all these amazing people, reach out to the entourage, dude. You can do it, just do it. But if I don't claim it, then I'm never going to have it. So that is like, and you, that's just such a beautiful quote. And I hope that I can, I hope me saying it, really i want you to feel that i know that you deserve it because you fucking do you got to see that you're worth it you get like you you deserve the best you do deserve the best but you have to accept that fact yourself and know like you got to stick up luke and i can do this podcast luke's going to keep showing up for you if you're tuning into this podcast 
that you've got to be the one that accepts the fact that you're worth it. And if anyone else accepts it for you, it means nothing. So you got to do it and then you got to expect it and claim it. And if you can do that, then you're, it's going to happen hundred percent. One thing that I wanted to ask around the expectation thing. Yeah. Yeah. How do you get out of the trap of between wanting and expecting? Cause that's with when, you know, I have goals and things like that. Cause I've heard the same thing around the, you got to, take your focus off wanting it and expecting it. How do you kind of transition from that and get out of the trap of wanting things as opposed to expecting it? It's a lot easier yeah. said than done. Yeah. Yeah. Cause the desire presupposes that you can't have it because it separates. I desire this thing. It's like presupposing that it's separate from you and you're not going to have it. So I feel like what's really important is that, this is like, this is the best I can do on this. And I, this has been so helpful for me recently is that it's tackling the reason why you don't actually feel that grounded expectation in yourself. Cause it is a lack of deservability. It's a lack of like deserving self-worth. So for example, like I want to have this business thriving but when I, when I get in a state where I feel like it's not going to happen and it's a desire that's separate than me, it's like usually a feeling of kind of like anxiety or uncertainty, which is a feeling in my body. And so there's this beautiful practice you can do of letting go and like learning to love yourself unconditionally, which kind of like patches this up and allows you to then move forward from that desiring not worth it to now I feel really grounded within it and I can go after it. And that process is you feel into the emotion that's undeserving. So let's say, for example, you're like, I really want to have this business, but then the thought of it makes you anxious somewhere because this happens to me all the time. It's like, oh, I might have the desire. I want to do this live, but then it's like, I'm scared to do the live because I'm scared of judgment. And then I feel the fear of rejection in my stomach or my shoulders or something like that. So this is a letting go technique. And the reason it's powerful is because right now, the early beautiful inner child that we all have doesn't feel worth everything. If we did, cause some people do, some people just think I'm fucking worth it. And when they think that they, when they expect it, they get it like people with standards that, that comes from somewhere. And I like to think of it more as like, I'm removing all the blocks, not I'm bringing in the expectation. So like, I don't feel like I expect for me, a big one at the moment is like being okay with big personalities. Like, your friends that are like the footy guys that these sort of personalities for me, it's confronting for me because it brings up this shit from when I was younger where I felt really intimidated and I felt like I was bullied by some of these people or put down and made me feel really uncomfortable. So for me, that's a, that is a, an obstacle to me having what I want by being a, a big thought leader. If I'm a big thought leader, I need to be able to feel comfortable and grounded and just be myself in front of anyone, whether they're a big personality or not. And so removing that block versus bringing in the deservability is what's going to get me closer. And so when I feel that feeling of rejection or anxiety in my body, just actually acknowledging that right now it's a block in, in the, the capacity of the feeling of it. So let's say right now I'm feeling rejection in my stomach. Then that feeling of rejection, just witnessing it and, and not just assuming, because if you don't become aware of it, it's just continue. It's going to continue to play every single time. Let's say it's a Facebook live and you're scared of getting rejected because you got rejected when you were younger. It's not just going to go away. You're not just going to wake up the next day and all of a sudden doing a Facebook live is easy. It's like the day before you felt the insecurity 
and that anxiety of fear of rejection, if you don't kind of like appease that or become aware of it, it's just going to keep showing up until you do something about it. So feeling and acknowledging that, that feeling, and this is more of a spiritual practice, but it's really powerful in that moment, actually becoming the space. And what that means is like, you're there, you can feel that uncomfortable feeling in you, which is like, the rejection, the fear of rejection, the anxiety, and it's physically in your stomach, like butterflies in your stomach. You're observing that feeling and it feels really uncomfortable and you're not judging it. You're not trying to move it away. You're not trying to like make it even stronger for the point of like achieving with the exercise. You're just witnessing it. And then as you witness it, you become aware of it. You've already broke the pattern a little bit because you're not just on your autopilot. Like I'm just not going to do the Facebook live or whatever. You're seeing it. And acknowledging, hey, fuck, I've got anxiety here. I've got a block here. There's a part of me that doesn't feel worth it, doesn't expect it. And then you, you're feeling it becoming the space. And what becoming the space means is you're actually becoming present in the moment and you're, you're becoming more expansive. You, you're, you're soaking into the presence of your environment and becoming bigger so that feeling gets smaller. And it's a bit of an abstract thing that's not fully clear. It's a bit intangible, but it's something that you can experience pretty easily if you try this for yourself. You become the space. And what that does is it puts you back into your higher self. So all of a sudden you've gone from, I'm just not doing the live. Why? Oh shit, there's anxiety. Hey, I'm aware of it now. Now you're actually witnessing it. And then you're witnessing it. But in that moment, you're actually the child like you are the inner child, if you're being pinballed around and reactive to anxiety from when you were rejected as a kid, it's not actually adult Luke or adult Ryan that's just like full grounded. It's like scared little kid that doesn't want to be rejected that's powering the decision to not do the live. But by becoming aware of it, you've created a separation between current adult Ryan because you're not the kid. You're not in that moment when kids teased you in primary school. You're an adult that's in charge of your business and your life. So you're separate to it now. Once you've become the space, you've created and separated in a child from you. And what that gives you the ability to do with compassion and empathy is to feel into the emotion just in a really relaxed way and understand where that trauma originally came from. So you can feel it in your body, that anxiety, and you can go, what memory pops up for me? And what that does is it allows you as your adult to then understand why you're feeling that because it's fucking come from somewhere. But if you don't create that, the space, then you are the child. So creating the space puts you into your like higher self, adult, normal. You're not actually going to be teased right now. You're a fucking adult. Everything's sweet. And then you can feel that, but you're still able to witness the feelings and be separate from it. But you can trigger a memory from when you're younger. And then you can see your inner child in that moment and have compassion and empathy. And instead of that child in that moment, making a decision that they weren't worthy of love, that they were less than, not worthy that they, that child being scared and afraid in that moment, you can change that child's reality. You can, cause that it's still in you. That child's reality is still happening right now in the present moment. If not, you would have just done the live. So you, in that moment, you can legitimately go into that and speak to that inner child, i.e. you're speaking to yourself and you can just love them unconditionally. You can just hold them and make them feel safe. Not say, don't worry about these kids that are teasing you. You're going to make it when you're older. No like content here, just love and safety. Mm. And then what you do by creating that love and you're, you're being a container of safety and love for that inner child. And it changes the association that you currently have to that experience, which will legitimately change the way you show up to that action of doing the live in the present. 
But what you need to do is you need to allow your higher self to radiate enough love, legitimate love and care for that child until that feeling of anxiety dissolves. And once you've dissolved it, and you'll feel physically different because you won't be feeling the anxiety anymore. And it might take five minutes. It might take 10 minutes. Don't rush it. Don't force it. Like if you saw, if you had a kid or you saw a kid crying profusely, you wouldn't be like, all right, mate, let's speed this up. Come on, dude. Let's get these tears. Let's move on. Time for you to do a Facebook live. <laughs> you'd just be like, um, mate, I've got you. It's okay. And you'd, you'd have that compassion and empathy to care for them for as long as it took. And you wouldn't judge them. You'd just be like, it's okay to be scared. You'd actually be there without any judgment. And that's the same thing that you need to do for yourself. We notice we're, we're way more harsh on ourselves than we are on others a lot of the time. But in this space, we're changing that. We're holding space, loving them. And then in that moment when you've dissolved that feeling of non-deservability, non-expectation, then all of a sudden you're filled with love, like a genuine feeling of love. And so you can approach that live, not from a place of, I need to do this live. It's really hard. And it's going to be mega scary. You actually can be like, what would I enjoy doing on this live? Like, why do I want to do the live? What's the real, like, why am I actually doing it? You're not just doing it to get success. You're doing it because you're choosing activities that you love to do. You want to be a coach. So what would you enjoy talking about? And you can do it from a place of safety and love, not like anxiety and pressure. And that, that state is way more expecting. And so I've done this a lot. I've done it on my inner child and gone back to memories where I remember once I was doing cross country in state, state cross country, and I hyperventilated and had a panic attack one year in the race because I was so scared that I wasn't going to beat my last year's placing of 10th. And I ended up just like people were passing me and I was like, my dad's not going to love me. Like, I just have to justify why I'm not going to beat that place to him. And I was so scared and I started slowing down mm. and then I held space for that inner child. And then I was like, well, what would my inner child do without that? And what I imagine myself doing kind of like that picture you took springing off the wall. It was like, if I was like full of love and no expectations in that race, I'd fucking jump out. Like I'd come over the hill and commando roll and that'd be like, eh, like I'd be like getting involved with other people in the race or I'd spring off a tree. I'd just be having fun with it and still like doing mm. it. But my whole self-worth wouldn't be on the line based on how I placed and it would be a different reality. And that for me is a great thing to keep coming back to as I, I kind of solve the trauma that I've, that I created was created to me based on how I was treated when I was younger with that pressure from my dad. It allows me to then change the way in which I'll approach something, mm. which is usually way more joy and love than it is like pressure and fear and push and, you know, do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so if you do that, then you, you're from a, a love place. The expectations are going to be, you know, you're going to expect it a lot more because you're not trying to force it for your own self-worth. You're just choosing to do it because you want to do it for fun and joy. And that's like yeah. way less pressure, way more natural expect, expecting. Awesome, man. Mate, um, it's been an awesome episode. I've got heaps out of it. I know anyone else listening to this also will. So where can we all find you? Insta at the Ryan magic and what would mean the world to me for you guys is if you added me on Instagram. So just find the Ryan magic and then sent me a message with anything that stood out for you or any follow-up questions. I love connecting to people that uh, have the chance to listen to me or I meet or at any events or anything like that. It does really make a world of difference and it makes it really special for me. So if you send me a message that would mean the world to me, 
Um, but yeah, man, thanks so much for having me on. And I really want to honor you for being such an authentic leader because I really feel like you're a great example for a coach of someone that shows up as themselves and not trying to be anyone that you're not in order to look a certain way. You're not trying to impress anyone other than yourself and you're doing this for yourself. And that's really refreshing. Authenticity is the summary of that. And so I want to honor you for being authentic and say thanks for having me on, man. Hey there, hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Make sure you click subscribe to stay up to date with podcasts that I release every couple of weeks. And if you've enjoyed the episode, please, I really, really appreciate it if you leave me a review. And you can also find me on Instagram at Luke underscore page.